Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Rob Cohen. He is currently a community volunteer and serves on a number of nonprofit boards. Rob is a healthcare executive with over 30 years of experience in healthcare management, policy, and finance. He was a co-founder and senior executive of XL Health, which was founded as a diabetes disease management company, became the nation's leading Medicare Advantage chronic special needs plan, and was acquired by United Healthcare. Rob was a part of the founding management team in 1998 and stayed through the sale to United Healthcare in 2012. Rob was an advisor to the state of Maryland on the design of the Maryland Hospital Payment System and was the former founding CEO and Advanced Health Collaborative, a network that includes seven health systems with 10 hospitals. Rob was also CEO of a founding and founding partner of the Phoenix Healthcare Consulting. Rob has payer, provider, investment banking, and consulting experience with his MBA from the Wharton School of Finance and Healthcare Management. He's a regular speaker at industry conferences. He's a graduate of the Wexner Heritage Program and GBC Leadership Program. He has served in leadership positions on many nonprofit boards, including the Jewish Community for the ADA and JDRF and at his children's schools. Rob is married, has two daughters, and is an outstanding contributor to this business. I'm excited to have him here today. Rob, so glad you made it. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for having me, Saul. Absolutely, Rob. So let's dive into it. What is it that got you into healthcare? I'd say what got me into it is it was a a family business, if you will. My dad was a healthcare economist. My mother's a nurse, so it started there, and my wife is a physician, my sister's a social worker, but it started with my parents, who are a healthcare economist and a nurse. Very cool. So really, it was kind of like everywhere you looked, people were doing it, and why not you? I grew up around it, and when you graduate from college and you're looking for a job and your folks say, hey, call this guy, then it, you know... (laughs) So I I say that tongue in cheek, but I became more entrepreneurial, more finance. So I think like many of us, we, we get a foot in the door, but then we make it our own. Right. And I think that's kind of what I did. So yes, it was a family business, but you know, like many of us, I also carved my own path and did things a little differently. And you definitely put your own uh, fingerprint on, on the work that, that you did throughout your career focusing on chronic disease management, in particular type 2 diabetes. I'd love to dive into some of that story and then also through some of your thoughts in, in healthcare in general. So what is it that you believe needs to be front and center on health leaders' agendas today? I believe, as I said when we talked earlier, we all have our, our blinders, our, our channels in which we focus. But I believe population health, value-based care, focusing on the 20% of the people that cost 80% of the money, predicting where the risk is, 
looking for areas where you can both improve quality and reduce cost at the same time. I'll come back. I think the first one I said was population health. So, you know, a lot of people think about care management and they think about, say, readmissions. Well, what about preventing the first admission? You know, that, that type of thing. You know, people with, with CHF that could get admitted six times in two years, but yet none of them qualify as a readmission. So how do you, how do you keep people healthy and out of the hospital to begin with? That's key. And so we think about these things. It's sort of the, the genesis that, that began the business that you started and then sold to United Excel Health. Tell us a little bit about that and you know, how you saw the opportunity and how it created results. Sure. Well, it, it started, it was a number of clinicians were the initial visionaries, a cardiologist, a primary care physician, an endocrinologist, a podiatrist. So people that were all seeing diabetes and its comorbidities and complications from different angles and said, hey, we can make this better. Initially, they were focused on reducing amputations because people with type 2 diabetes, you know, they get lower extremity wounds. It can lead to amputations and folks eventually pass away in, in not a fun manner. And we wanted to back up and stop those problems early on so that the complications never happened. And so we started focused on diabetes, lower extremities, but then you realize people with diabetes have lots of other complications. Plus they have the, you know, as folks get older, they have the same healthcare issues that everyone else has, falls and frailty. And, and so we became a more holistic care management company. And then I would say the what really opened the door for us, the turning point, if you will, was when the Medicare Modernization Act came out in 2003. Mm-hmm. It, it created Medicare Advantage special needs plans, plus it put in place a payment model, a risk adjustment system that enabled you to focus on enrolling the 20% of the people that cost 80% of the money as opposed to where most, in health, most health insurance companies want to enroll the healthy people. And we wanted to enroll the people with problems, but that only works if it's properly risk adjusted. So the Medicare Modernization Act created the ability to have a Medicare Advantage plan that focused on certain beneficiaries. You could pick your diseases, and it also created the risk adjustment model. That was a big uh, reason for the really the foundation of the business and why you guys were able to scale. It, you know, it wasn't um, automatic though, right? You guys were able to connect the dots and and be able to to build a business model around that. What what could you share with the listeners about maybe one success and 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 one setback that you had during that process? I would say one success we had was that we had the vision that it was created at the end, you know, the Medicare Modernization Act was the end of 2003. The risk adjustment system phased in over 3 years, so it wasn't fully in place until January 1, 2007. And so I think we smartly said, we have this three-year path to plan for this, to build our networks, to get our infrastructure in place as a health plan, and to launch January 107 in a big way. 
And so we were the largest, I think we were the largest Medicare Advantage launch of all time, you know, across 700 counties. That's just unprecedented. Hmm. One setback we had is that although the Medicare Modernization Act created this new risk adjustment system, it wasn't perfect. And so, and even today, it tends to overpay the healthy and underpay the sick. And there's ways around that. But so we were successful in that we, you know, had the vision and the planning to do this great launch. And we managed through it operationally with tremendous growth. And a setback was the payment model. You know, I don't know whether I, we all have blamed the actuaries ourselves. It wasn't perfect. And, and so that was challenging at first. And then we worked our way around it. Definitely can't imagine it was easy to do. And and I want to give you big kudos for seeing it, being able to strategically plan and then uh, navigate the the boulders in the in the water, so to speak. What would you say is one of your proudest uh, leadership moments in your business career? Hmm, a proudest leadership moment, I think. Being an evangelist, if you will, for focusing on sort of having the courage, if you will, to be a health plan that went after the the people with the chronic diseases. So like I said, I think I mentioned before, you know, many health plans have the intention, the goal. They set up systems to, you know, honestly recruit the healthy, recruit the the 80% of the people that cost 20% of the money, but then get paid at the average. So at the end of the day, if you're getting paid at the average and recruiting healthy people, then, you know, it's kind of easy to make money, if you will. And I think we had the the mindset and the goal. I mean, yes, we wanted to make money. And yes, we saw there was a path to make money, but it's a, it's a hard path and we were willing to do it. And we, you know, convinced a lot of people that it was the right thing to do and had a lot of people follow us. And as a result, we improve people's lives and improve the system at the same time. Yeah, I would say that's a very admirable thing to do and a uh, creative way to reach for a niche that not a lot of people wanted to go after. So certainly a lot of kudos. And you guys obviously built a, a business that you know, later United acquired. Tell us about that and how that happened. Sure. So I mentioned before that one of our, you know, challenges was that the risk adjustment system overpaid the healthy and underpaid the sick and that there was this new risk adjustment model. And one of the things about this new risk adjustment model is that it tags chronic diseases. It has, so every single Medicare beneficiary every single year gets marked with, I've lost track now, but you know, a few years ago, it was about 80 binary toggles. So in other words, does the beneficiary have diabetes? Do they have heart failure? Do they have rheumatoid arthritis? Do they have, you know, every, all these conditions and they all have a, a coefficient, a risk factor associated with them. So the beneficiary premiums, how much a health plan would get paid per year if it enrolls a beneficiary 
is calculated at the level of the individual. Think of it as every single Medicare beneficiary has like a sticker on their forehead with what the health plan would get paid if they enroll them for that calendar year. And the payment is based on the data in the big Medicare system in the sky from the prior calendar year. And so one of the reasons that the healthy are overpaid and that the sick are underpaid is that the big computer doesn't know all the chronic diseases a person has. And not only that, but every December 31st at midnight, it resets. It wipes the slate clean. Every single chronic disease in this country is cured in a sense. And if it got documented during the year, it's gone as of the next year. So amputations go away, heart failure disappears, all, you know, all these chronic diseases disappear unless they get redocumented, and lots of them don't. And because we were the largest chronic special needs plan, we were the health plan in the country that had the highest concentration of sick people, which meant if we didn't do something about it, we were effectively the most underpaid health plan in the whole country. Now, the flip side of that is if you go out and identify the chronic diseases, you do quite well. And we, because we were starting with our head further below the water than anyone else, we figured out how to document those chronic diseases and we got very good at it for our 170,000 members at the time that we sold the company. And United Healthcare recognized us as the best in the industry at doing that. And, you know, I can't speak for them. They bought the company, so they do with it what they want. But I think it's fair to say they wanted to take our know-how for what we were doing for our 170,000 people and do it for, I forget what their numbers were at the time. It was in the 2 million zone. So scale our, what we called house calls program across their 2 million beneficiaries. So they weren't, they weren't in a sense buying our, 185,000 members, they were buying our know-how to roll out that house calls program to their 2 million members. Love it. It makes a lot of sense, Rob, to think about the model that you guys built and, and how scaling it could give them incredible efficiencies and, and, and help their patient base and, and profit base. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's worked out well for them. They have they have in fact scaled it. It's a a core piece of what they do in Medicare Advantage, and it's it, and it's also a key piece of care management. I mean, you, you know, it's not just to identify the diseases for the sake of getting paid. It's to to use that data to know the healthcare status of your beneficiaries, so you can appropriately apply care management. So Rob, tell us a little bit more about an exciting project or focus you're working on. I know you, you've taken some time off and potentially you might be getting back in. I mean, one thing that has crossed my mind lately, this might come off as a bit of a tangent compared to what we've been talking about, but I'm from Maryland. You <laughs> may or may not be aware that some of your listeners may or may not be aware that Maryland has a very unique hospital payment system. We operate under what's called an all-payer waiver. 
There's a hospital rate setting model, dates back to the early 70s. Many years ago, there were, there were at the most, there were four states with all payer rate setting models, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, and Maryland. Maryland's been the only one left for decades. It was a kind of precursor to the, the DRG payment system, which all, all other hospitals in this country are on for Medicare. And then more recently, the Maryland model went from a, a cost per case system to a globally budgeted system. So all Maryland hospitals are told at the beginning of the year how much money they're going to get. So they're not paid fee for service. They're paid a global budget and they're incented to manage it. They're like these little community-based insurance companies. And so I would say two things about the Maryland model that I think have relevance for the national debate. And, you know, that's always been the purpose of the Maryland waiver from the federal government's perspective is to learn for the nation is one learning would be this, you know, sort of the total cost of care nature of our model. So incenting providers to manage total cost of care, not just be paid fee for service. And the other thing is the all payer rate setting nature that on the hospital side, rates are set and everybody pays those rates. Whereas in the rest of the country, you know, while Medicare and Medicaid do rate setting, if you will, hospitals around the country and providers around the country charge what they want, insurance companies negotiate. But I believe that in many cases, those charges are set so high that it ruins the nature of negotiations and results mm-hmm. in, in payments at a level that are not reasonable because when your charges are so high, it prevents the party on the other side from being able to negotiate. And I think there's some national learnings in that. And you, you may or may not have, I've been seeing it in the news lately in Washington, there's some, some buzz around this. And I think the learnings from our Maryland system could contribute to that debate. And I think the learnings from our Maryland system could contribute to aligning incentives between providers and payers and patients to, to do better care management. Yeah, it's um, a very interesting uh, idea and, I, and, and very fascinating to learn, Rob. I, I didn't know that's the way that uh, Maryland was set up. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in, in this debate and what gets adopted nationwide. Yeah, I mean, certainly there's, we have a lot of good in our healthcare system in this country. And at the same time, there's a lot of things I think we could do better. Totally agree with that, Rob. Now, what would you say is your favorite book that you'd recommend to the listeners? I think it qualifies as a book. It's not, not, not a book in words, but uh, I've been listening lately to uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History as a podcast, and I think it's excellent. So I've been listening to podcasts recently, and I think that's a really good one. And Malcolm Gladwell certainly written a lot of good books. I've read some of his books. They're really good, but I've been enjoying his podcast, Revolutionist History, lately. You know, I've uh, had a chance to to listen to it, and I really enjoy it, too. I think it's a, a great recommendation and always questioning what's at the surface, which I think is pivotal to 
to having success, whether it be in care management, population health, et cetera. I think it's a great recommendation, Rob. Thank you for that. I think you tied that up very nicely in terms of, you know, not just the episodes, but, but sort of the observation that not just taking what's at the surface for granted. Yes, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. The one that um, I remember, and I <laughs> speaking of, is the one that he did about memory. You know, he, he talked about memory yes. and he went back to 9-11 and asked yes. people how unreliable our memory could be. I thought that was fascinating. <laughs> and it's not that people are lying. It's, it's genuine memory. And I thought the way he analogized it to the court system was just fascinating. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, there's a little sneak peek, folks. If you have a chance, you're already on the podcast app listening to us. <laughs> finger, type in a couple keys. Revisionist history. Definitely one of my favorites as well. Glad you recommended it, Rob. This has been a great session, folks. I mean, Rob is a healthcare veteran. He's been there, done that, created a company that added so much value to that 20% that needs most care. He took a risk. He got rewarded. It wasn't easy, but we had a chance to hear his story here today. I love, Rob, if you could just, uh, before we part ways, share a closing thought that the listeners could take home with them. A closing thought. I mean, I, I have had so far a tremendous 30-year career in healthcare, and I would say I never had a game plan. I just did what I loved. I found it enjoyable. I think with with work, that's the thing to do. It's to find something that intrigues you and is fun where, where help is needed and to be flexible, be willing to take risks. And um, I find it's amazing how big an industry healthcare is that you can you know, be in a dinner party and three people say, can each say I work in healthcare, but yet none of you have ever heard of what the other one does mm -hmm. a little bit of a tangent but i just find that interesting just just sort of in the sense that it's, it's a big industry it needs a lot of help and if you're listening to this podcast you may well be in healthcare. so i hope you enjoy it and have fun with it and follow your passions and if you work hard and put in effort i'm sure you'll find success Without a doubt, folks. And so, Rob, I really appreciate your, your words of wisdom here and uh, looking forward to staying in touch. Thanks so much for your time. Saul, so, thank you very much and have a great day. And uh, I enjoy, enjoy uh, learning about Outcomes Rocket. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.